Welcome to the Sozo Church Podcast. Our desire is to see every person know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Enjoy. Uh, here's, here's my disclaimer. I'm not an expert on being single. That's my disclaimer. Not an expert. I actually remember uh, this was in 2000 and probably five. Just got married and uh, happily married. It's great, amazing to this beautiful woman down here. And uh, I was invited uh, by the church that I was at. I was invited by this lady to speak. Listen to this. The invitation was for me to come and to teach at a single parent mom's night. (laughs) Single parent mom's night. Um, and as you can imagine, as I began to pray and prepare for this, there was some reluctancy even to say yes, but I felt like I kind of had to. Uh, I said yes. I felt so unqualified and inadequate for that assignment. I mean, think about this. I was recently married, so I felt inadequate to speak to singles. I had no kids, felt inadequate to speak to parents. I was the only man in the room. I felt inadequate, inadequate to speak to females. Um, I wasn't an expert then, and I'm not an expert now. But I, as I was preparing for this yesterday, I, I, rem, I remembered the sense of, of burden that I felt in 2005, which is this. I didn't want to come across insensitive or ignorant because I wasn't a subject matter expert. I felt the same sense of burden today. Like, I don't want to come across as insensitive, and I definitely don't want to come across as ignorant, um, But I'm not a subject matter expert. But here's the good news. Back in 2005 when I spoke in that moment and even now speaking in this moment, I don't have to be a subject matter expert. We have the scriptures. And the scriptures guide us in all truth, the Bible says. The scripture can lead us and guide us. And so even though I felt inadequate, I was able to get up and share encouraging and equipping words from God's word, even though I maybe didn't have the same exact experience that the people in the room had that experience. And so today, if you do, your, do find yourself in that place of like, maybe you're single, please hear me say this. Like my burden is, is to help you. It's to pastor you. It's to guide you um, in the way that I would want you, if you were a pastor here today, speaking to my sons or to my daughter. That's what I want for you. I'm not a subject matter expert, but what I did was, as I began to look through God's word, I found two passages of scripture by actually two of the greatest subject matter experts on this particular topic. Jesus, by the way, single, and the apostle Paul. Again, by the way, single. Two single guys with their experience, their perspective, and their wisdom, they actually spoke to this topic. So we're going to share from those two passages of scripture, but a little disclaimer as well. I dug into a few other uh, resources, some scholarly work and some pastoral work, both from a theoretical uh, concept or angle and also from a practitioner's angle. Some of those people, you can look them up when you get a chance. Dr. Timothy Keller just wrote a great book called The Meaning, Meaning of Marriage, but Dr. Timothy Keller, a good friend, Mark Pettis uh, from uh, down in Birmingham, Alabama, interesting perspective, uh, Birmingham, uh, but John Tyson in New York City dealing with uh, a culture much like ours here. Uh, Barry uh, Danilak, another guy, Jewish scholar. Uh, So I have some contributors to this, so you know that these are not just my thoughts uh, as a disclaimer. But where I want to camp out the most today is in Matthew 19 to set us up. And this is a very interesting passage of scripture. And then we're going to get really practical with 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Matthew 19, let me give you the context really quick. If you have your Bibles, go there. Uh, Some religious leaders are trying to trap Jesus. They always, the religious people were always 
always trying to trap Jesus to turn the crowds away from him. He had such a huge following of people that were just flocking towards him because the wisdom of his words, the compassion and the empathy that he had for people. And so these religious people come around Jesus and they start asking him questions around relationships, specifically about divorce. Like, when is it okay to, to divorce? See, there was a, there was a rabbinical like, uh, tension and debate, two different thoughts, two different camps. One thought said this, if you're married, you, you have the right to divorce uh, really for no reason at all. Like, you, you, you can, your wife burns the toast, like, you know, toaster, right? Like, literally, like, that was the, the thought. Like, if you don't like your wife, just divorce her. There was another camp that thought uh, in a totally different way. They're like, there's really no reason uh, really to divorce your, your wife. And so Jesus gets asked this question like, so what do you say? What is your thought? And their thoughts are we're going to try to at least split the crowd in half. But Jesus is so, he's so good. The way that he responds to our questions, usually with a question, uh, but sometimes he, he cuts through with some great truth. So he responds to the question, and, um, and he deals with their particular question, but he uses it, watch this, as a springboard to step into this conversation about sing singleness. And what he does, what we're about to read, is he actually, he, he, he introduces this radical redemption of what it means to be single. He, he totally redefines um, this value that we put on, on being single. Uh, here's what it says, Matthew chapter 19. Jesus replied to their question about divorce. Moses permitted, it's key word there, permitted, didn't command it, but permitted you to, to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. Speaking of creation account with Adam and Eve, he said, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. In other words, Jesus is saying this to this group of people. When you're married, you're pretty locked in. So choose wisely. This is what Jesus is saying. Like this is, this is, he's putting a high value. He has this beautiful view of, of the institution of married, any, marriage. And he's saying, this is really serious to God. This is really important to God. And so he's placing this value on marriage to this group of people saying, listen, that was a concession that Moses gave about divorcing because of things. But really, that's not God's design. God's design is that we be in covenant with each other for life. So look at what the disciples say to him. The disciples are standing around, they go, Jesus, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. <laughs> Some of you are like, do I laugh there or what? Like, just, I, I, I love just how the humanity of these guys are like, man, if you're that locked in with somebody, like, it would be better probably, like, they're just swinging the pendulum, like, no divorce, so like, let's just not even get married. Like, I ain't, I'm not even going to deal with that. Like, it swings the pendulum to the other side. Um, and, and I love that. Um, and Jesus goes on and he says something here. He says, he replies to them, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. In other words, what he's saying is, guys, I know this is very hard to wrap your minds around. This idea of you, you, you build a relationship with someone in covenant and it is for life, come hell or high water. He's saying marriage is, is of utmost importance to God. And so he's lining this out. But then Jesus, he just goes like total 180. He goes in this different direction and he says this, watch. This is so, so it kind of gets a little weird if I'm honest. For there are eunuchs who were born that way. I mean, just right on the heels of the marriage talk. For there are eunuchs who were born that way. And there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. And there are those who choose to live like eunuchs 
for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept this. I read this to Jennifer last night in the kitchen. She goes, are you really going to talk about eunuchs in church? And I was like, yep, it should get interesting, like really interesting, really fast. What, what is this? And, and hear me out, lean in. It's maybe a little cerebral at first, but it gets very practical. What is a eunuch? This is a male, specifically, it's a male uh, without his reproductive organ. And Jesus points out two eunuchs and then a third. The first two, and we'll explain that. He says there's some people that are born eunuchs. This is Jesus's keen awareness of some sort of birth abnormality. Like he's aware that there are some people that they're born certain ways. And he says this, they're, they're eunuchs that they don't have the actual ability to, to have a sexual relationship with someone. But then he says, there's others that are made eunuchs by other people. This is Jesus's awareness of, some, of uh, the ancient Eastern culture there. So you gotta know that the eunuchs in the ancient Eastern culture, many times, this is what happened. They were made eunuchs by someone. Usually it was in a, a, a political environment. Uh, it was sometimes serving a king, a king's agenda. And so they would take men, they would castrate men, this is an interesting topic. I'm sure you're loving it. They would castrate men and then they'd say, now you're not going to be distracted by relationships. You're not, not going to be pulled away by relationships. Now you can just focus on your assignment and advancing my agenda for my kingdom. And Jesus, when he says these first two, the audience is like, yeah, yeah, we get it. We get it. There's some people that are born like that. There's some people that uh, have been made like that. And then Jesus throws this like theological bomb on top of them. And he says, but you know what, guys? There's others that choose to live like eunuchs. Now, here's the thing. Jesus is not meaning in a literal sense like you should go and make yourself eunuch, eunuchs, guys. Like, the, I think in the previous chapter, he says the statement like, uh, hey, if your eye calls you to sin, gouge it out. If your hand calls you to sin, cut it off. He did not literally mean cut out your eye and start slicing and dicing in other places of your life. He didn't mean that. Although there's a first century, there's a first century uh, uh, follower of Christ that took it literally and he kind of, you know, he did the deal, became, chose to become a eunuch. And then he quickly found out that that's not what uh, the scriptures were really meaning. Poor guy. Anyway, here, here's, here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Jesus's cultural moment helps you understand this. Watch. There's two primary perspectives when he's sharing this, it was shocking. It was controversial. Here's why. Because there's two different perspectives in this moment. There's a Jewish perspective and a Roman perspective. And this is the cultural moment that they lived in. For the Jewish people, they had this long-running narrative from Genesis chapter 1, which was basically God's command to be fruitful and multiply. So, 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 so God's command to Adam and Eve and, and even the Jewish people throughout was this. Hey, you need to get married and, and make babies, and live in obedience to my law, and my blessing will be upon you. So, so make babies. So, so get married, <laughs> get married, make babies, possess land, be obedient to me, and my blessing, the blessing of Yahweh will be upon you. And, 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 and if you even see this when you begin to read some of the, the, uh, the rabbi's writings, that many of them, they, they said that if a man failed to get married and procreate, it was an abomination, it was disobedience to the commands of God, and they, they were disqualified for the blessings of Yahweh. Uh, even some, uh, some really intense rabbis would say if a woman, if she was barren, she was cursed 
because she could not produce. And so in this Jewish culture, the mindset and the perspective was this. It was obsession with marriage and family. It was obsession with, you, you, you got to get married. You got to find that person. You, you, you got to have a son. You have a, need to have a daughter. You need to build your family, possess land, and let God's blessings, the blessings of Yahweh be on you. So there was a great obsession to this. And then if you look over at the, the Roman culture, it was a, this culture of honor where the men, they, would, they wanted to find wives so that they could have sons, so they could have sons that would carry on their name. If you ever watched uh, some of the current like, TV shows, uh, what was the one, Game of Thrones, that I think they, they, like, it was, they were obsessed with their name, obsessed with their name. There's many shows that you see that about Roman culture. You see cultures like that. That was many cultures, not just the Romans, but it was very important. So for the Romans, they were obsessed with getting married and having kids. It was important to them. And Jesus comes on the scene and he says, guys, I know that, that all of you put a huge value on marriage and making babies, but I want to introduce to you something very radical. And it's this, is that there's a new covenant and there's a new era. And I'm not, it's not just about you getting married and making babies. It's about something greater. It's about expanding and enlarging my kingdom. It's not about you having your sons and your daughters, but you, you producing spiritual sons and spiritual daughters. And then he comes in and he throws this thing in the middle of, he says, says, guys, he goes, there's some people that choose to live like they're single and they do it for the sake of the kingdom. This is radical and it would have shocked them. Marriage and making a family was an obsession to them in their culture. And Jesus comes in and he challenges their theology and their ideology. Now, here's why I'm sharing all that with you. I think that it's not that much different from the culture we live in today. I think that we have an obsession. And they're going to put this little graphic on the screen. I think that we have an obsession with marriage, an unhealthy obsession in our culture with marriage and it's created so many problems and for many companies I won't name any of them but for many companies they've profited from that obsession we can easily become obsessed with marriage why when you're single you live under so much pressure around your relational status you know this to be true look there's here I'll just name a few of them there's a cultural pressure that you may experience that is if you're single there must be something wrong with you so there's a status stigma associated with it there's a parental pressure, especially if you come from maybe an Asian culture, where it, especially if you're an immigrant. Uh, many that I've talked to, they said they feel a pressure from their parents. They're like, hey, find someone and make me some grandchildren, right? It's parental, but it's not just an Asian culture. That's, that, I mean, my, my parents were like that. It, it's important. Grandparents will be like that. Our parents will be like that. There's a communal pressure. Your friends and relationships, they're getting engaged. They're getting married. They're having kids, and you're just still single and sitting in it. And you feel the pressure there. Uh, there's the sexual pressure, as weird as that sounds. Uh, there's this natural desire where we're wired by God to have sexual intimacy. And so we desire that and we want that. And the devil comes in and he takes a legitimate need and he tries to get you to meet it in an illegitimate way to destroy your life. And so temptation, the pressure of just being tempted sexually to do things with our body um, so that we find that void filled, which it never really truly works. There's this emotional pressure that we feel. It's the pain of loneliness, desiring real companionship and wanting to have someone maybe to go to sleep with at night or maybe to go on a long trip with or to sit and have one of those long conversations and we feel that emotional pressure. Then I didn't have this in my notes, but we have a spiritual, this spiritual church pressure that we've, we've cooked up as well where we celebrate. Think about this. The main things that we celebrate is when someone gets engaged and when someone gets married, and when someone dedicates a child, and then we just say these low-hanging fruit kind of things to single people, like, you just need to just date Jesus and be content, right? And it's like, 
there's so much pressure and, and there's so much pain. And so what this does is it creates an unhealthy perspective towards singleness and towards marriage. We get obsessed with marriage. Now watch this. Then you swing the pendulum, just like the disciples did here to the other side. It's not just opposition. We, we go to extremes in this unhealthy way, and then we have this opposition towards marriage. It's not just an obsession with it. We live in a cultural moment where there's an opposition. We have some people that view marriage and monogamy strictly from an extreme opposition perspective. Relationships are too complicated, too much drama, too many challenges, too expensive, amen, too many limitations, too many sacrifices required. We, we hear things like, I'd rather just keep my options open so I'm not locked down or locked in. I'd rather focus on my career. I mean, that's very much the cultural moment of our city. Um, I'd rather, rather than getting married, I'd rather not be tied down so that I can just travel and kind of just enjoy my life. I'd rather avoid the problems I watch my parents go through and their messy divorce. I just, I'm just, I'm opting out. I'm not even going to get divorced. Here's the thing. These things are not all necessarily bad, but when they come out of a broken motivation, they become super unhealthy and we begin to view marriage in a way that we devalue an institution of God. And there are these, these unhealthy extremes where you can be obsessed with marriage or you can be opposed with marriage. And so Jesus comes in the scene and he says, guys, there's a healthy way to view this. Singleness is just like marriage. It's actually, it's an opportunity. It's a gift. You don't have to be obsessed with marriage. You don't have to be opposed to marriage. You also don't have to be obsessed with being single if you're married. Uh, you don't have to be opposed to being single. You can see both as an opportunity. And Jesus, his framework is specifically this, is you can be single. You can choose to live like you're single and embrace and receive this for the sake of my kingdom. This is so interesting that he would, he would begin to say this. In other words, he sets this new kingdom framework for marriage and for singleness. We should not have an unhealthy obsession with marriage. We should also not have an unhealthy opposition towards marriage. We should see marriage as a gift. We should see singleness as a gift. He neither devalues marriage in this conversation, neither does he elevate singleness above it. He values both in his kingdom. He levels them out. You're not broken if you're single. You're not fixed if you're married. You're not, you're not incomplete if you're single. You're definitely not complete if you're marriage. He's like, that's not the issue here. He levels it out. Listen to me. If you're single, you are not less than. You are not incomplete. You are not broken. You are not lacking. You are not deficient. And you are not insignificant in Jesus' eyes. This is so radical what Jesus does here. He shifts the focus from just having this biological family. He says, it's not about making babies. You know what it's about? Matthew 28, his language, it's about making disciples. This is coming from a single man saying this. He's like, guys, I get it. It's a challenge. But I'm telling you that you can view it as a gift from heaven, as an opportunity from heaven. I love how the apostle Paul, he frames this up um, in in a single guy, he, he, he would call his spiritual sons, or he'd call his sons and daughters, excuse me, he would call young men and young women that he led to Christ and he invested his life in. Though Paul had no children, he would say things like this to Timothy, Timothy, you're my true son in the faith. It's this shift that Jesus does in a culture that devalues single people. Jesus says, my kingdom values single people. He does that. 
When Jesus taught this, though, he says this, these are eunuchs that they had a choice. They chose to live like this. And so some of you in here are like, brother, I ain't choosing to be single. I'm not choosing that. It's just the dice have been rolled, my friend. Like, this is my reality. Listen, even if you haven't chosen singleness, you can choose how you view singleness. There's power in your perspective. The way that you see suffering will determine a lot about the outcome of your life. It's your perspective in suffering. It's the same thing in singleness. It's the same thing in success. Everything, it's always about your perspective. What is the way you view that particular season of your life? How you view it has huge ramifications for how you will walk through it and deal with it. First uh, Corinthians 7, I'll just drive this home just a little bit more and I'm gonna get really practical with you. First Corinthians 7 is probably the best chapter on singleness. If you, if you do find yourself in a season of singleness, maybe you're single again. If you do find yourself in this season, go and study different translations and with commentaries. First Corinthians chapter seven, the apostle Paul gives a great treatment on the topic of singleness. And I'm just gonna share a few scriptures and get very practical with you. But the first one that Paul says is this. Um, he says, I wish everyone, verse seven, I wish everyone were single. I don't know if he's saying this because he's like, I want everybody to feel what I feel. I don't know if he's like saying that out of like any level of resentment or not, but I don't think that's what it is. But he says, I wish, has anybody in here, you ever felt like that about somebody? Never mind, don't raise your hand, that's terrible. I wish everybody was single, they can feel what I feel, you know, so you don't get any cool Christmas gifts, you know what I'm saying? Anyway, that's just a preaching from somebody's pain. He said, I wish everyone was single just as I am. Watch this. Yet, each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. Here's what he's saying, not every person's single. He says, I wish that, that everyone were. He said, because, why? He views it as a gift. But not everybody has that gift. You may know some married people right now, they're like, I don't have that gift right now of singleness, right? Paul, though, the point Paul's trying to make here is that he has a perspective around singleness is that it's not a, it's not a sickness to be cured. It's a gift to be received. It is a perspective that he has. It is a healthy, biblical perspective that we know that Paul is not opposed to marriage because in Ephesians chapter five, he elevates marriage as this beautiful gift to the world to represent, represent the way that God relates to his people or the way that Jesus relates to his bride. So we know that Paul has a high, high value and view and perspective around the institution of marriage, but we also see that he views singleness as an equal as it relates to being a gift that we as humans, we get to receive. So he goes on and he begins to break down from his perspective, a single person, he begins to give advice to other single people. And so I hope this helps you, but I'm gonna just knock these out really quick. Here's what he says, verse number 25. Now let me address the issue of singleness. I must confess, I have no command to give you that comes directly from the Lord but let me share my thoughts on the matter. Better translation would be, let me share my perspective and my experience on the matter. As coming from, look at this, from one who has experienced the mercy of the Lord to keep me faithful to him. In other words, what Paul is saying here is, he goes, I realize, guys, the singleness is an issue for people. It's been an issue for me. He says, I realize that it's a real issue. It's maybe even been a painful issue. And he points out that his singleness has put a demand on him to rely on the mercy and the grace of God. Here's why I'm saying this to you. Scripture affirms that being single is not easy. And some of you that are walking through a season of singleness, you've had people with zero compassion or empathy towards you, sometimes even other Christians. 
and it's made you feel so bad and so beat up. But you need to understand that both Jesus and the Apostle Paul, they affirm the singleness. It's a challenge and that it's hard. It's a real challenge. Even if you see it as a gift, it's still hard. And you'll need the mercy and grace of God to walk through singleness. So he goes on and he says, after he affirms that singleness is, is, is hard, he says this, here's my advice for you as you navigate singleness. If it's a short period of time or if it's for the rest of your life, he says, I want, I want you to do this. Look at this. I want you to live as free of complications as possible. When you're unmarried, and this is going to resonate even with the married people as you hear this. When you're unmarried, you're free. <laughs> To concentrate on simply pleasing the master Jesus, right? Pleasing the master God. Marriage involves you in all the nuts and bolts of domestic life and in wanting to please your spouse, leading to so many more demands on your attention. He says the time and energy that married people spend on caring for, for and nurturing each other, the unmarried can spend in becoming whole and holy instruments of God. He says, I'm trying to be helpful and make it e as easy as possible for you, not, uh, not make things harder for you. All I want is for you to be able to develop a way of life. What you think about this? A way of life in this season in which you can spend plenty of time together with the master without a lot of distractions. Now, notice here, the first thing he says is, I want you to live. That's the first thing he says. Somebody needs to hear this today. You're in a single of singleness and you feel like your life is over. Paul says, your life's not over. I want you to live. I want you to enjoy life. I, I don't want you to swipe right and sit around waiting for the response on Tinder. He says, Paul, Paul says, I want you to live. Don't sit around waiting. He goes, live, live. God wants to give you an abundant life. That doesn't just mean that you're supposed to be married. He's like, I want to give you a life and I want you to live and enjoy that life. And let me give you these things that he points out. He says this, how, how he wants you to live as single is this. The first one is single and simple. I'm going to explain that for you. He says this, he goes, it's a season free of complications. This is God's framework. God gifts us the season of singleness either for a short period of time or for a long period of time. And part of that gift is the gift of simplicity. It's the gift of being free from, from a ton of complications. Life is complicated enough. Let me tell you this, whenever I used, whenever I used to travel when I was single, it was so easy. I'd pack some underwear and maybe a toothbrush. <laughs> got married, got a little bit more complicated. Had kids, really complicated. We were coming back from Christmas. Can you put that, that uh, picture? Can you put that picture up on the screen? I don't know if you can see it on this wall, but there's a picture of my kids, and I, oh, they don't have it up there. We literally had 15 pieces of luggage, it's like 15 pieces of luggage in traveling complicated, okay? It just gets really complicated. But when I say that Paul, Paul is speaking to this season of being single, live single and simple, simple does not mean easy. I want you to hear me. If you're single, I'm gonna, I'm gonna affirm something. When I, when I say as a married person, simple, I do not mean easy. I mean focused. When you have simplicity, you can have focus on, around things that really truly matter. In this season of simplicity, listen to me. Here's some practical things. Focus on personal growth. Focus on discovering your God-given gifts. Focus on, on pursuing your passions. Focus on getting a God vision for your life and going after it with everything. Trying new things out. Enjoy travel. Listen, simplicity, as someone single, frees you up to live 
and to enjoy the life that God has designed for you to live. It's simple and it's focused. Here's the next phrase. He says this, you also have this gift that you can live in such a way that it's about pleasing the master. When you're unmarried, you're free to focus on simply pleasing the master, he says. A more little translation is, or a more little interpretation of focus is this, is focus on your devotion to Jesus. This is a time for you to, to turn, turn your, your, your time and your energy towards seeking to get to know Jesus in a greater and deeper way. It's single and seeking is what I call it. I think about Jennifer and I, we were dating, but she went off to college about three hours away. Year one, I would drive every single weekend, three hours on a Friday, would spend, spend the, like the day with her. We'd do like a little date day, a little lunch, and I would drive back that night because I wasn't going to stay in her dorm room, room because I know the wrong places are set up to mess up. Hey, and so <clears throat> some of you, that was the price of admission right there. You needed that, okay? I would drive back. I wouldn't stay in her dorm room because I knew that this just bad things would probably end up happening, right? And we wanted to guard our relationship. After year one, I realized this is not sustainable. I cannot keep driving there. So for the next like three years, I really, I didn't really go there hardly any at all and visit her. And, and it literally became like a season. While I still really liked her a lot, I was thinking that I was falling in love with her. She was 100% already fell in love with me. Anyway, <laughs> another sermon. Um, it sort of was like, even though we were dating and we still talked uh, every once in a while, we, we talked. Um, it was a season where it was almost like I was single again, not to go and pursue relationships and to go find another person, but it was, it was like I had all this bandwidth and margin so that I can spend time doing something else. And I, I found out that I, what I needed, if I was maybe one day going to marry her, I needed, to, I, needed, I needed to get to know Jesus a little bit better because I was rough around the edges. So I would spend my nights and weekends reading my Bible, like, like, who does that at like 19 years old? Most of my friends thought I was a nerd. Like reading my Bible. I taught myself how to play a guitar so I could just worship privately in my room. Oh, that was so good. That was not even in, like in my notes or meant to. That was a special moment. Thank you, ladies. All the guys are like, dude, that's cheesy. Nerd. Shut up. <clears throat> I mean, I like... I just, you know what I did in that season, those three years? My spiritual formation was not being determined by a relationship with a girl, but it was being determined by margin that I was creating to spend time with Jesus. And so I was just like, this is a gift. I need to see this because there is going to come a day. And when she graduates from college and we get married, I'm not going to have all this space. I'm not going to have all this margin. So I'm going to seek Jesus with everything that's inside of me. I will say this, that I would not be the husband that I am today, the man that I am today, if it were not been for that gift that God gave me in that, those three years. She would say the same thing about herself. She learned how to be independent from other people and to be dependent upon the presence of God. It was a gift. It was a season to seek after God. The next phrase that Paul says, I'm just going to give you two more and wrap up. He says, the time and energy that married people spend on caring for and nurturing each other, the unmarried or the single person can spend in becoming whole and holy instruments of God. Here's what that speaks to to me. It's single and serving. When I look back at those three years that Jennifer was away at college, you know what I did? I not only was seeking God more than I ever had before, spiritual formation happening, me becoming a, a true follower of Jesus, but I planted my life into a church called Healing Place Church 
And many of the relationships that serve you, every, many of the people that serve you every week here are relationships that were formed in that three years where we served together the house of God. I think about people that are in this room. I think about Matt Laborde, Josh Ferreira. I think about, where are some other people? Gabby Ferreira. I think about Josh and Cole. I mean, I could, the list goes on. Elton, I mean, I could tell you people, these were people that we, we had bandwidth in time. I think all of you were single at the time. And we're all, we're just like, hey, let's go all in and serve the house of God and plan our life in this place. This is not my advertisement for you to serve here, but I will tell you what it did in my life is that when I made a decision to plant my life into serving as a single person, saying I'm gonna serve the house of God, I'm gonna build the house of God, and if I build his house, I know he'll be faithful to one day build my house. I began to serve, I planted myself in the local church, began to serve, and I, I, man, I served in so many different, I served as a junior high, djembe, like bongo player, in a junior high ministry. They like fired me after three months. I was a worship leader in the youth ministry. Again, fired after like three months. It was terrible. I was just volunteer serving everywhere. I would stack chairs of eight. I'd slide them to the left, a a room of four or 500 chairs. And I would stack all the chairs and I'd sweep and clean and everything. And I did it with joy because I just wanted to serve the house of God. The place that was feeding me, I wanted to feed it. I wanted to serve there. And you know what happened there? I actually discovered through leading worship and stacking chairs and sweeping and mopping up, throw up and at, you know, youth events and, and then all these random crazy things that I did. Like, thank God we're not going to ask any of you to mop up, throw up. But all these weird things, just serving, saying, I don't care who gets the credit. I just want to serve the house of God. I discovered that I had a gift to communicate. I discovered that God had a call in my life to teach his word. But it came out of a, a season of, of living, like choosing to live like I'm single, bandwidth, planting myself in church and serving with all my heart. And I discovered that God had a purpose for my life and it is in serving. Practically, let me just say this to you. You'll never, have, if you're single, you'll never have more time than you have now. You have more time and energy than you have when you were a kid. Um, you did not have the liberties and the freedoms that you had even when you were a kid. When you get old, you're not gonna have the time and energy that you have now. When you get married, you want. I would encourage you to become an instrument of God, as Paul says. In his house, but in the world that you live in, be an instrument in the hands of God to make a difference in your workplace. Don't just catch a paycheck. You're not there to make a dollar. You're there to make a difference. Serve, love, be an instrument in the hands of God, serving people. This is one of the greatest seasons. It's a gift that you have right now. You may not always have this gift. You may not always have the bandwidth that you have to serve to go out into different areas of our community to, to serve and to love people. This is a season. And the last one is this. He says this phrase. He says, the time and energy that, that married people spend on caring for each other, the unmarried or the single can spend in becoming whole and holy. Becoming whole and holy. Here's what that says to me. This is a season that's a gift for you to focus on becoming secure. It's single and secure. One of the most damaging things in relationships is insecurity. And here's what all insecurity is. Someone that is not aware of who they are in Christ Jesus. It's someone that feels like they have something to prove, something to lose or something to hide. It's someone that their identity is built on what they possess, right? Like what Nate talked about, like what they possess or their performance and all. It's insecurity, it's unstable and your relationships will be damaged if you try to have relationships like that. When you're in a season of singleness, you can focus on God's transforming grace and love and power and truth making you into this whole and holy person. Let me be clear though. 
This doesn't mean that you're locked up in singlehood until you figure this out. Bad theology says, you know, maybe the reason you're not married is because God wants to, you know, develop you into this person so you'll then be ready to get married. I don't think that's really the case. I know married people that never became whole and holy. So it's not like a prerequisite, like you become whole and holy, then you graduate into a marriage. It's not how God works. But it is a season that you receive the gift of say, you know what, God, I'm gonna find freedom. I'm gonna find healing. Maybe you were abused or you were abandoned. Maybe your parents divorced and you, it just really wrecked you and messed with you. And, and there's these things in your life, there's baggage, there's things that were done to you or not done for you or said about you or said to you. And there's a brokenness. We're all, we, we, all of us are broken. But God's desire is it's more than you to be married. He wants you to be whole. He wants you to be holy. What is that? It means it's just set apart and your life is free. You see the world around you with a healthy perspective. You're secure. You don't need some guy or some girl to make you feel valued. You know that you're, you're the beloved of Jesus. It's secure in Christ Jesus. I love this. Um, Dr. Les Perry said, um, if you try to build intimacy with another person before you have gotten whole on your own, all your relationships become an attempt to complete yourself. Dr. Timothy Keller said this. This is kind of humorous. He goes, I want someone who will fill every vacancy in me, awaken dormant gifts inside of me, and continuously uh, enrapture me in otherworldly bliss. Strangely enough, this puts incredible pressure on another human being. (laughs) Final thoughts. Jennifer and I dated. We had one round of dating, and we were so immature and so... Um, so broken, so insecure. We broke up. Our relationship was just so unhealthy. We got back together years later. Christ became the center of our relationship, the center of our individual lives. We weren't perfect yet, but we were progressing in our spiritual formation, becoming healthy and becoming, becoming whole. And, and, and the experience was so different the second time around with Jesus as the center of our life yielding to his transforming work in our life, becoming healthy and whole people. Still, again, not perfect. But we came to an understanding that Jerry Maguire was wrong. That you do not complete another person and they do not complete you. It's the biggest myth and lie there is. You complete me. So dumb. Hollywood is so dumb. (laughs) Two halves do not make a whole. Two wholes make a whole in God's kingdom. And it's when we find our, our, our wholeness in Jesus, we can now give that to another person. Now, here's the final thing is this, is will that ever happen for you if you're single? I don't know. But I know that you can be like the Apostle Paul where he said this, his grace is sufficient. His mercy is new every day. And if today you're struggling through singleness, you need to hear this, is that God, he loves you and he is with you and he's for you. He has not abandoned you. You're not broken. You're not screwed up. Actually, we're all screwed up. And that there is a place for you. There's a place for you in God's family. If you're single, there's still a place for you in God's family. Don't believe the lies of the enemy when you're at Christmas or at a holiday 
or at something and you feel so alone and isolated, listen, we want to be your family. We place a value on you here. We don't just value married people and children. We value you. Practically, I think we could, do, we could do this moving forward. As a church, we could learn to celebrate single people and their achievements in life. Maybe when someone gets a new job, throw it just a killer party. Maybe when someone gets a promotion, throw some unreal party. Just big old feasts. Maybe when someone loses a job or quits or like just like, that was a terrible job anyway, throw them a party. We need to learn, this is not spiritual, it's just practical. We need to learn to celebrate singleness. It's a gift, it's an opportunity. Don't be obsessed with being married. Don't be opposed to marriage. Fall somewhere in the middle. There's a tension to be managed and there'll be days if you're single, you'll do it well. There'll be other days you'll struggle. But guess what? We wanna struggle with you. We love you so much. Amen. Come on, if you receive that one, you clap your hands this morning. Thanks for listening. Join us each week here on the podcast or live in San Francisco. Keep up with life at Sozo by following at Sozo Church SF on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a great day.